Hello everyone and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast. We've got a British Asian in charge of the UK and we've got a British Asian in charge of this podcast. And with me to talk about the United States Grand Prix, I've got Adam Dickinson and Freddie Coates. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, now depressed because of politics, but um, oh well. I'm doing great. In spite of politics, I am doing great. I'm look, I think this is going to be a great episode. Off the podcast, I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, is that, uh, is that tempting fate? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, already because we're just stilted, so it's stilted around there. <laughs> is it tempting fate? About... Long pause. Yes. Long pause. See, now I've set expectations so high that, like, I'm now going to bring them back down to earth, and then we will still exceed expectations, but. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we've we've got a delay because my Wi-Fi's bad, and I probably shouldn't have presented this one by now. But anyway. uh, let's talk about the US Grand Prix. Then uh, it was a great race. I thought probably one of the better ones this year. Max Stappen to win. It was a hard-fought fight, uh, and Rebel wrapped up the constructors' championship as well. Uh, the, the day after Dietrich Mateschitz sadly passed away. Uh, thoughts on Verstappen's drive? Was it one of one of his best of the year? I think. I mean, he's had lots of lots of great ones, obviously. I mean, it it's kind of difficult because, like, he still just looks so in control. Like when he's winning, he he still just looks comfortable. He doesn't look kind of stressed, really. Um, so, like, it's kind of it's then then feels hard to grade it. But I think you know, given what. He had to deal with it. I'd say it's one of his better drives. Um, I still think, uh, you know, it wasn't maybe the hardest competition that he's faced with. Yes, I wouldn't put it in maybe like top two or three, but I think it was, you know, one of... He had a challenge, which hasn't been the case for a lot of the season, so uh, he did well to overcome that. I think he was very good. I think, like Adam says, his calmness and his sort of serenity behind the wheel worked wonders. And even with an 11-second pit stop, he was able to then overcome the challenge of Ferrari and Mercedes, um, which is very hard to do, really, frankly, because their pace was was very good throughout the race. It's just he was able to then step to the next level again on top of that and can keep those medium tyres alive in the in, in 21-lap stint, which I thought was very, very well done. I, was, I thought I thought it was very impressive. And and as we've clearly lost Nigel again, <laughs> um, uh, we shall just say what he thinks. Um, I, I I thought it was one of his best drives of the year. I, I think I think every Verstappen drive is one of his best ever drives, but this was particularly one of his best ever drives. Right. Stop saying what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say. I think the key moment was because when he came out behind after the slow pit stop, I thought Hamilton was going to go on and win and keep up his streak of uh, winning a race in every season. But I think for for Stappen to fight Leclerc so hard on the mid-tires and still have enough rubber left to chase Hamilton and overtake Hamilton, that was really impressive. I, I think only him and Hamilton can kind of do it in five months so hard and then go and get the win really so I think 
that was what kind of stood out for me. Yes, exactly. Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, just the way he was able to keep calm throughout the race, and there were there were points where you know he, he had he had the right to be annoyed, and that probably would you could say would be when he had a really poor pit stop, and when um, you know the battles were hard with Leclerc and and Hamilton, and there was a bit of moving under braking towards him, which probably wasn't on but seemed to be kind of okay and he had a right to get a bit incensed and he, he didn't he just won the race mm. <laughs> it's it's easier said than done obviously but he did it very well and his his charge in the latter half of the race was impressive and it mm. always will be to me that it, it was it, it, it was too impressive it was like I, I thought it was going to come down to the last two or three laps and when when he first came out and had to you know obviously behind Leclerc I kind of thought he was tracking to be a bit more of a grandstand finish whereas Pastamon I want to say like 50-ish six, six laps to go yeah I kind of yeah I, I thought it was going to stretch a bit further but you know that's not not um, a kind of criticism of his driving I was intrigued to see how it was going to go because it was all he was always going to catch him and it was always going to be on around lap 50 or something. And I was intrigued to see if it would go the way of a Bahrain 2021 or if it would go the way of a Barcelona 2021 where it can be just a drive by. And I think it was a little bit in between, closer to the Barcelona 2021 analogy, um, comparison, I should say because he was able to get alongside. But, I mean, that straight was incredibly long. And in most other tracks, I think, Hamilton would have been able to hold on to that. But I think you've got to you've got to hand it to both of them for being in that position at that stage in the race, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for me, Hamilton was every bit as good as Verstappen. I think this race, he couldn't have done much more, really. And it's only because he was against Verstappen that... He lost, I think. He did. He even moved under the braking zone a bit, which he's not really trying to behind. So he just did everything he could. Still didn't quite work. Clearly drove his heart out. I mean, he was sliding before and after. And, and before and after, he got overtaken by uh, Verstappen. Uh, so, yeah, for me, both drivers, it was pretty much close to perfect in terms of the driving, I think. Do you think if Hamilton had been on the mediums for his last stint, that would have no, changed anything? I, I, I think no. The, I, I, I think um, I think that's what Nigel said, but I'm just going to say any again. I didn't really pick anything up, but um, I think what Nigel said and what I think is that just um, it wasn't necessarily an option in their strategy, but also they made the hard tire work so well in the middle stint that if you're in that position. They, they were able to succeed with the undercut with the hard tyre. So, as well go with the hard tyre and be um, in a good position with that tyre and just go with what you know, which is that on Friday there was a lot of tyre wear um, and the hard tyre worked very well in the stint you've just done. So, I think go with what you know. And if he had been on the mediums, there's no saying that it would have, it would have been any different, to be honest. Because of the way those tyres were reacting throughout the race, they, they didn't seem to be corresponding overly differently anyway. Yeah, I, I think the Mercedes, uh, due to the hard wear ball, suited the medium tyres more. Uh, that's how I kind of saw it, really. 
which is which is bizarre when you think about it from sort of a relative um bracket of the entire season when the mercedes struggles to bring its ties in and the ferrari and ferrari in particular and the rebel to a to a lesser extent but to more of an extent extent than the mercedes work their tires a bit harder so it's a bizarre kind of weird anomaly that pirelli tires just generate sometimes on some surfaces and some conditions but yeah the merc was just working better on the hard the second half of the race the second half of the race was kind of a thrill back to last year in some ways for me in terms of that intense battle between the sports top two drivers and had enough of that same this year but we had so many of these kind of races between Hamilton and Verstappen last year uh, and then we kind of got that over final 20 laps in Kota uh, so I think that was really nice to see I think no, no. definitely really nice to see <clears throat> Yeah, uh, just... we are in sync. Yeah, I, I just We're echo that. Sure. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was vintage, but vintage of only a year ago, which already feels a long time ago. But I think vintage is a nice way of putting it because it is just kind of like, um, it is just so many races just aren't necessarily strategic fights on track where things just happen and it just goes the whole distance these days and you know that's that's not a bad thing but sometimes it's just nice to have a straight sort of fight just beginning to end in a way that can be really exciting to watch and can build to a climax and that did that work really well and i think um there's a there's an argument to be made that perhaps um this is the race in some ways that you hopefully should have got last year but also last year's race was fantastic anyway yeah definitely and just on Red Bull, winning the constructors uh, the day after the battleship started, they kind of didn't want to wear black armbands or be too kind of silent about on the ball real way. Uh, I mean, yeah, they've had the best car for most of this season, and I guess they've deserved it, obviously. Uh, the fifth title. Of... Yeah, the fifth constructors title, we should talk about Dietrich Mateschitz, of course, because he, it, you know, rather than sort of just brushing over it, he, um, the amount he's given to Formula One, he's he's sort of the, the biggest influencer with no profile to this sport that you can, that there, there has been in sort of the last 25, 30 years from being just simple sponsorship with Gerhard Berger all the way up and up to just winning a Constructors' Championship again returning to win constructor championships after and not just fluking it a few years ago either with a good run they've they've consistently performed and the amount of people who are in motorsport in top level motorsport because of him the amount of sport across the world that is funded and successful because of him is exceptional and he's an exceptional figure he's he's just he was in it for the fun of it and it was working wonders and it has worked wonders and it will continue to work wonders in his name and I, you know, I think for for all the the negative press that Red Bull and Formula One can get, um, the amount of positive press that it's deserve that it deserves is is incredible is an incredible amount, and it can be all linked back to 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 him basically. And Max Verstappen, Sebastian Vettel, um, Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly, all, Daniel Ricciardo, all race winners and two world champions in that all can point to him as for their career and so many people in 
across all of motorsport and Formula E and WEC and IndyCar and rallying in um, bikes, MotoGP, World Superbikes, all of that. It's just all Red Bull and, you know, Red Bull is fantastic because of Dietrich Matthews. You should mm. mention that. No, I, I completely echo that. I think he he's someone that you can't, you can't ever do a what if Red Bull were never in F1 because it would just be absolutely, there would just be so many differences that you wouldn't even appreciate. Like he has completely changed the face of the sport and, and changed it for the better, regardless of your opinion of Red Bull or Verstappen, he has completely changed the sport for the better. And he, he will be King lost and King lost within Red Bull. But I think, you know, the, like you said, Freddie, the way that his name will live on in F1 and across motorsport as a whole for many, many years to come. And even outside of motorsport, he like cliff diving, skateboarding championships, mountain biking. There is, you know, any any and every kind of extreme sport. Red Bull put their put their name to that. And yeah, it's not out, you know, there's a lot outside of F1, but obviously F1's where the name is most synonymous with success. And like you said, those names that you listed off, two race winning teams on the grid so many drivers that have got their opportunities or got their opportunities in other sports that they wouldn't, or in other motorsports that they wouldn't have got without the Red Bull setup. It's, you know, it, it's mind boggling when you really think of the impact um, they've had over the last 20 odd years, just over 20 years. So yeah, a, a King Loss, but we'll, we'll uh, live on beyond that. Yeah, definitely. Like Nigel, like you were saying with Reb, this sort of hanging over Red Bull, I think it gave them a good, will to win in um in austin and a good uh, a good setting for the constructive championship to be sealed they on sunday they were wearing jeans um in tribute to him they were blasting out rolling stones um tunes from the garage and there was a big old round of applause on the grid for him not any silence and that was just celebrating him for the man he was and i think red bull did that supremely particularly by winning the championship on the day i think um it I don't want to say this in a crass way, but it wrapped up a bow nicely and was a, a fantastic tribute. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I, I think I, I think you're right there. I think you know Matashit to for what is essentially a drinks club to create it into one of the biggest brands in sport. It's just extraordinary. I mean, as you guys talked about, not just F1, but I mean, I and pretty much every top red alpine skier is red bull backed or, or, or red bull sponsored uh, and alpine skiing in, in austria is absolutely there's so many other athletes in the world tennis players cyclists as, as well who are all sponsored by red bull so it, there's just so many athletes who have uh you know they have to be so grateful for matters it's yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Freddie. For for Red Bull to win in Austin in the style they did, they had to really fight for it. It was almost like the, uh, so yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, sorry, my my internet is crap. <laughs> Let's move on away from the top two. Charles Leclerc uh, finished third. Uh, he was just as good as the top two as well. I thought charging. Uh, from 12 penalty for new power units bits. What were you most impressed with from his drive? Um, clearing traffic well when he needed to, but also having 
a safety car pit stop. I don't know. What was I most impressed with? Um, just the way he fought when he got to the front. And I think he was performing better than the Ferrari was able to. And finishing ahead of Perez and Russell, even with a safety car intervention, was impressive, in my opinion, based on the pace those two teams were showing in Cota. Mm, I, I agree. I think the fact that he was, you know, even able to hold it to Verstappen for a lap was um, was impressive, and it's kind of a shame that that's what um, that's kind of the thing that most people will remember from the race because there's so much focus on the on the front and then the incident. But yeah, like you say, the you know the fact that he beat the two teammates of the front running drivers in you know in obviously the same machinery got onto the podium. I think it was just yeah, again, very impressive from Claire. Quietly impressive, but impressive nonetheless, and um, a kind of good springboard to hopefully some success over the last few races of the season. And he was pushing so so hard as well. Pretty much every lap, he was leaving. He was not saving his tires at all. I, I don't think he, he was just pushing so hard. I, I don't think. I mean, this is the style, but it was just so good to see, uh, and for him to fight Verstappen as he did was impressive as well. It was a flashback to Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, well, more so Bahrain, uh, when he beat Verstappen then at the start of the year. So I think Leclerc is on a great run form, just hasn't had the wins to show it, unfortunately, the last five or six races, really, uh, because of the car. (laughs) So but him, his actual driving is exceptional. Uh, Our science didn't, didn't get to show what he could do, unfortunately. What do we think on that turn one? Instant uh, Russell did get a five second time penalty. Were the stewards right or wrong? Russell was robbed. Ooh. No, robbed. no, no, what way? no, no, not actually, not actually. Um, yeah, it was, it was Stonewall from Russell, and uh, it's just really frustrating because I mean, it, the race was kind of saved by um Hamilton coming in and you know the slow pit stop for Verstappen making it interesting at the end, but uh. You know, it, it really, at that point, it just felt like, well, that's the race gone. And it's just like, it's really, really frustrating. And kind of Russell just has no defence. And, you know... It, he wasn't penalised for making the race boring. No, but I just mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was a really, it was just a really annoying incident. Like, as a fan, when you're watching that, even if you're not a science fan, then it's just like, it, it felt like it sucked a lot of the energy out of the race. I get what you're saying. I... I... I do think you have to put some blame in Science's quarter. Um, he Agreed. cut across extremely aggressively for uh, the front of a pack. It's fine to cut across like that if you're racing one car, but not if you've got 18 behind you, in my opinion. I do think Russell steamed in quite a bit, but I also think Science was a bit naive in the way he cut back um, and had to make up for his sort of poor start. He, The bit of racing that Science did, in my opinion, then from that, Opinion. If we're answering your question on what we think of science for the for this little segment, I thought science did quite a poor job on Sunday. He got a poor start, yeah. um, and then drove quite erratically into turn one. Um, but also, I think Russell drove quite erratically into turn one, and it was Russell's erratic driving that tipped science as well. I do so. I do think the the, the penalty is kind of justified, but I do think um, a five seconds fine because of science. Science's part to play, meaning it then doesn't go to sort of a 10 or a um, drive-through kind of penalty. I'm, I'm going to defend Russell here for once. Uh, I think 
even if he was in control, didn't go that, didn't even if he wasn't mocking up, I think he still hit sides. I think you're right with, with your point that if you shouldn't really be cutting back like that. There's no way you can kind of do that move. So I do think Russell was unlucky to get a five second penalty. I think I think the reason I'm sort of um, putting a bit more blame in Russell's side is that I think the way Russell was attacking that corner um, was a, a little bit out of control and also was going to the edge of the track with his line and it kind of mean meant that if there was anyone there he was going to hit them in my opinion um, for the the way he attacked that corner uh, so I think that's why it, yeah science shouldn't have cut back but I think more of a blame comes from. Russell steaming in a bit harder than he probably should have done on an opening lap, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I, I can see that. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I think it's a bit annoying with Russell because there have been a couple of things where he has just misjudged it. There was the Joe crash at Silverstone, which was kind of him coming over into one of the afterthoughts, I can't remember, and the Bottas crash I, I at Imola last year. Joe's, Joe's his head every time I mentioned it. Um, so, the Joe, yeah, crash, I think, the Joe crash is. Um, is an easy one for him to is an easy mistake from memory to make. I think there's there's a few times where he's kind of misjudged the the space that's there, or you know, and this one, like you say, if if there is no car there, then it's a great corner, but it's on the first lap of the race, first corner of the first lap, and yeah, I just I I think he's there's just a few more incidents than you would like. There's an easy headspace to be in when you're in Russell's position, which is the kind of position where they can't qualify as well and they need to make the most of the sort of pops they can do on the first lap. It's a kind of position that we saw uh, sort of Verstappen and Rebel in sort of 2017-18 a bit. They were sort of throwing it up a little bit more and had a few more incidents and you saw it with um, Ferrari as well at points where they feel like they need to make the move when there's the only one opportunity to do it. Um, I think one that always stands out to me was uh, Vettel at the start of Malaysia in 2016, where he just sent it, tapped Rosberg around, was like, oh, well, well, I had to go for it, otherwise nothing would have happened, which is fair enough, but you put yourself out of the race. Um, so it's not fair enough. And it's that I think Russell's getting stuck in that headspace a bit, and I think he needs to sort of let the racing come to him a bit more, which is easy, easy for me to say, particularly when there's an open gap right there because science is taking a wide line. Um, but I do think it's particularly for a younger driver at the front, uh, inexperienced at the front of the field in comparison to the drivers around him, it's an easy headspace to be drawn into. Does that I, make I sense? Was, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think he was too busy also trying to wanting to be ahead of Hamilton and be the lead Mercedes. I preference on strategy as well. I think I said after. the race where I talked about how this, yeah. there's a few moments that this battle between Hamilton and Russell could get a bit spicy. And I think this is another key thing, even though he, it was him hitting sides, it was because he wanted to get ahead of Hamilton as to why he went in so deep, I think, personally. Uh, so, yeah, that's just another instance of, of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we talk about more drivers, let's talk about uh, the other incidents in the race, get them all out of the way. Uh, Stroll and Alonso, for me, I think if any kind of driver deserves a race ban, it's this. I absolutely hate it when a driver reacts so, so late 
when the car behind is right on your tail and about to overtake, for me, Lance Stroll should be banned for, banned for the next race. I I agree. It's deplorable driving. I I think he should have been, if he had been able to continue, I think it's a black flag offence. So because he was unable to continue, I think, yeah, carrying that over for a race does actually make sense. Um, we've seen so many near misses with this kind of driving before, and we've seen um, penalties, and we've seen no penalties, and we've seen inconsistency around it, which is why it, it happens. Um, I don't know if we've seen one sort of at this point on a straight. They always seem to come a little bit later. I think you remember Brozier and it's still being very sketchy. I think you see them I think I, the ones that always seem to stick in my mind are Verstappen in 2016 on the Kemmel straight with Raikkonen closing in because that was that was terrifying. Um, and there's a few in Formula E that do get penalised. Um, so many. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually in, in American racing, in IndyCar, um, blocking is an illegal move in general. Just You're allowed to make a defensive move, a defensive shape, but to then make a reactive defense is illegal because it can cause this kind of incident. Uh, now in European motorsport and Formula One and that kind of thing, um, for one of a broader term, because European motorsport can be a bit insular at all, of course, it that's not the case. But um, it, that's because we have a, a one-move regulation and a um, no really late, you know, you've got to be definite with your, with your defense and this was definite it was just too late and was not on i see i, d I don't think it was a kind of reactive move to alonso overtaking i think it you know oh, he, come on no it was it's let, let, so quick it is so quick like when you see when you see alonso pull out and then it is absolutely like thousands of seconds later when when he moves left like I just exactly. think he... that's too late to move. When Alonso's that close to you pulling out to move, that's too late. For Stroll, he should be moving to the inside before mm. Alonso makes his move, basically. Yeah, I agree on that. I just I don't I don't think it was that he saw Alonso making his move to overtake and then thought, no, I'm gonna block him. Like, you know, I think it was I think it was misjudging how long he had to make that defensive move rather than kind of, you know, anything more um not, it was, not premeditated, it was, it was, the opposite. But um, yeah, kind of anything more sinister or anything more um, not sinister, clinical. It was deliberate so. block at high speeds. Deliberately, it was drawing the man in Formula One terms, if you will. Like, like, like a rug to take a rugby analogy. Like you, you run with the ball to a player and then pass it at the last minute to draw a man away. And it's, it's the kind of thing like, come close, come close, come close. Right on, I'll move out in front of you so you've got to lift off so you you lose all momentum it means you can't just weave around and break that's the that's the way the move is being used and it was too late because alonso couldn't lift off and he went into the back of him and it's it's essentially not on in motorsport that kind of move in my opinion mm. one of the first that's episodes the way I see it. one of our first episodes was uh one of the silverstone race in 2020 talking about Grosjean making a similar move on someone that i can't remember Ricardo and Sainz too. Oh yeah, no, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten it was two. Well, I think, I think we all. Well, I certainly had to go at him then. <laughs> I was not yeah. happy then. And 145 think... episodes later, I'm not happy now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I think. I. 
I'm leaning with you, Nigel, on um, a, a very serious race bannable offence. I think a free three place grid penalty, which is the equivalent of not sort of, you know only lifting a little bit under yellow flags in a qualifying <laughs> incident, is um, an interesting comparison in, on, in my side from my side. Uh, and and the reason the reason why I come down on this so hard is if the closing speed is faster, Alonso stays in the air for longer and can go higher and go over a fence, hit a marshal, hit a fan, injure himself, and that will be absolutely horrific. And one day, if the FIA don't go down hard on this, which they're not, someone is going to get hurt. I guarantee that. And that is like, and I mean, the last person to get banned was Roman Gros on 2012 at Spa. And this was a lot worse for me than that. So, yeah, me too. Like, like it, it, yeah, for me, Stroll should be banned. Uh, mm. And I really hate it. I mean, we haven't seen this move for a couple of years now. I think Adam is right, the last one was Silverstone a couple of years ago. I think, to be honest, um, that's not true. I think you look at Mazepin and Schumacher in Baku oh, yeah. in 20, well, in the only year they were both teammates last year. Um, and that was appalling movements like this um we have have, a, have had a few i think magnuson was guilty of it quite a few times in 2019 i seem to remember yeah. um i remember a, a move in suzuka where i think leclerc just ended up going into the back of him and like breaking his yeah. front wing um and i Ricardo think a lot of these in 2019 canada on the like, last i think it was the middle of the race ricardo on bottas like mm. it was Renault versus mercedes back then uh, yeah oh yes yes i do remember yes um but I do think a lot of these moves go unseen. So yeah. I don't think we can sort of say it hasn't happened or, or, this, or these are the only ones times that it happens. I think it is creeping into the driver's repertoire of racecraft or has crept in, actually, I should say. And yeah. if this was the move to defend a championship or something like that, I think it would be slammed down. So this. Mm. Uh, Oh, I was just going to say, we're just talking about the ones we've seen in F1 as well. There's There's been these in F2 and 3, and that's the that's the other danger of this. Mazepin did a few of these in um, his final F2 year as well. The, you know, it's not just what F1 drivers see that's affected by this. It's then, you know, junior racers see this, and that, in, you know, influences what they do, what they think is okay. And then, you know, you get get worse crashes that aren't noticed by so many people because there's not so many eyeballs on them but it's yeah it's it's not just it's not just what it does in f1 what it does in this race it's in the knock-on effect that has further down the divisions if you will no that was exactly the point i was going to make actually (laughs) yeah uh you've summed it up perfectly for me there uh adam the other incidents or big into the talking point words (laughs) from the spinning yeah not what that's been Although, yeah, that was a bad mistake to be fair to spin, although it was very windy, uh, but still, yes, uh, it was. I was trying to think the last time Bottas spun in a dry race out of the race. Oh, that's a good shout. If you know the answer to that, tweet at Freddie Coates or put it or slide into his DMs like at Fred Coates 1999. Actually, no, I don't want to tell people, don't slide into my DMs, creepy people, unless you're nice. Twitters are in the description anyway, so um, <laughs> I'll be thinking about that now. People will be whilst, thinking about you. That's really I'm annoying. Thinking about Freddie. Uh, whilst 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 Freddie thinks, uh, I was going to say, let's talk about Alonso losing losing his seventh place after Haas protested uh, that 
basically Alonso and Sergio Perez should have been given the black and orange flag to pit. Uh, Perez was fine, uh, the FIA said, but Alonso was given a 30-second time penalty. Now, obviously, Haas, I think Magnussen a few times this year, the latest time was Singapore being given the black and orange flag. Uh, what do we think on this? Because this is a bit of a tricky one, I think. This is a tricky one, I think. Um, <laughs> Haas are rightly incensed, I think, because they went to a, a great deal of effort to prove to the FIA pre-Singapore that they didn't need to be black and orange technical flagged um, because of the, the front wing end plate a lot of the time because of the structural integrity was was working apparently for them, they were saying. Um, granted, we have also seen front wing end plates fly off and we saw that with Sergio Perez in the US Grand Prix this weekend as a case in point. So I don't know wh- whether how much that was taken seriously, but apparently there is a kind of, there was a kind of agreement made saying, okay, cool, we'll, we'll be a bit more, have a bit more discretion next time. And then they were pulled in immediately in uh, Singapore. So as were annoyed then as well. Um, and now they think, well, hang on a second. This is very clearly a big technical issue with a big chunk of bodywork that's flapping around and he's not being technical flagged. And then a good chunk later in the race, it flew off when Magnussen and Alonso were in close combat. So Hassa rightly going to be annoyed at this. What's complicated though? And I, I think, you know, I think, yeah, it's a fair, I think it's a fair enough example of when a black and orange flag could well have been deployed particularly to the car that had just slammed into a wall uh, and was still racing. You kind of think if you race control, you should probably have an eye on it um, just to see if it's going to conk out or be in a poor situation. Um, and you, you do kind of think the, the odd thing though, is that the penalty is sort of for race control. Isn't it not for Alpine, but Alpine have been given thirty second penalty. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I kind of get that. Uh, although, yeah, I'm not well, sure. John, the the teams aren't meant to send a driver out if it's unsafe. So I think they'd be saying it's on the team to police that, and then the F, yeah, the race control true. to police the teams. So it's a bit. I kind of agree. If in but then they've been I, retroactively black and orange flagged as well essentially yeah it and it, like and in an in the in an ideal report, it is said they should have been black and orange flagged yeah it's it's one that's like in an ideal world the way that the penalty is awarded is that teams will bring in their drives if there's any unsafe bits of the car flapping around but it's f1 not you know, it's it's kind of everyone trying to find the edge all of the time, and that's where that's why the onus is on race control to, or should be on race control to, you know, put the hammer down and say right, you need to come in changes. So yeah, I think it's a unsatisfactory situation all around. Yeah, I think so. And go back to 2009 Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying when Felipe Massa was hit by a spring from Rubens Barrichello's car. That's all it's take again. I know we've got Halo and that kind of thing and the F1 cars are a lot safer now but there's still that chance where a piece of debris can go, as I said before with the lads into the air and into hit a Marshall or fan or injure another driver so the black and orange flag should have been given out and what I would do as well is get rid of the free lap thing 
well, well, you have to do it within three laps. Just do it straight away. Like, if, if, if you've got a bit off car flapping about, you should be forced to pitch straight away, not wait three laps. Uh, so I would change that personally. Uh, yeah. yeah. Any more thoughts on? No, I just, um, you know, although. Although I said it's unsatisfactory around, the penalty is the right one in the end. Like, you know, for, yeah. for the situation, it is slam dunk. It's it's just kind of the path that got us to the penalty being given out post-race yeah. wasn't the way they sh- it should have gone down. There is a crucial part in the ruling that I disagree with, I think, which I think, I think I'm right in saying there's a part in the report that says that... So I think, I think we all agree that with the flapping around wing mirror, that's an unsafe car. But when the wing mirror is gone, it was also deemed an unsafe car. Um, do we think then that if a wing mirror just goes, that a car should be forced to instantly retire? I, I don't necessarily know if well, I agree with that. That's kind of what happened with Perez, wasn't it? His front wing end plate. After it went, it was basically safe, his car. Yeah. So should he then take a penalty? Probably. Well, it's, it's, it's different. It's different, different because of the the... the, the the con the concept of the wing mirror the Perez they they did penal they did has did protest Perez yeah um but that was thrown out yeah. and I'm I'm yet to delve into all the details on that um, because I'm busy man um but with the with the Alonso mirror report it did say that a car without a mirror then is unsafe so are they getting is there going to be a situation later down the line where the FIA force a car to retire because the mirror isn't there. I don't Probably. think so, but well, there's a they've off, set them, uh, yeah. They've set themselves a, a bumpy precedent there, which a team could probably legitimately protest another car in that situation. So who knows? Watch this space for five years from now when the Haas versus Alpine Renault fight goes a bit further. They're always protesting each other anyway. Those two. <laughs> there they are, and but again. The FIA inconsistent anyway. Just, just like with the Gasly thing, he was given five seconds. Yeah, FIA are consistently inconsistent. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Like Gasly was given five seconds for not being within ten car lengths, even though Perez first got warning and instantly caught, and then got five seconds and whatever. But oh god. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the drive. Also, that's a stupid rule anyway. But anyway, um... <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of like it works. In some situations, it makes sense and it means that you can't take advantage of it. But like, oh yeah, 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 just, know, just yeah, like yeah, in, yeah. in general, the like if you're a new F1 fan, especially in America, where FIA, as they keep banging on about trying to kind of expand their reach exponentially, then it's just the kind of thing that makes you scratch your head. Like it's not making F1 kind of understandable to all the, all of these inconsistencies. It's you know, ultimately, unless you're watching with someone who knows, you know, is a kind of expert fan on F1, then it it just makes it a complete head crusher and makes it a lot more inaccessible to new fans, which is, you know, it's not just kind of for, you know, old fashioned things like um, consistently and fairness across the teams. It's also in F1's interest to have an understandable sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, moving on back to the performances of the drivers, Alonso had a great drive until it was uh, his seventh was taken away with him, but so did Sebastian Vettel. Uh, I mean, he had a slow pit stop. He probably would have been six, he thought, without the slow pit stop. But then his fight back, his moves around the outside uh, at turns... Let me count. 
18, well, 17, 18, 16, 17, 18, I think. <laughs> uh, around that section, absolutely fantastic. I think that has to be one of the best drives of Vettel's year, I think. They've been putting in some good performances of late, Aston Martin. That car seems to be coming into its own. Um, I think we do need to remember that car basically was rebuilt at round six, whatever, at Barcelona, and started afresh. So they've been developing slowly, and they've been, it's now sort of the fruits of their labor is sort of bearing, whatever the phrase is. Um, and it's now happening <laughs> because it's going They're bearing well. Bearing fruit. The fruits yeah, exactly. of their labor are bearing fruit. The bearing, the, the labor is bearing fruit. Um, labor. and it's but the point is that you know they've been performing well, and the pace in the Aston Martin is there. And Stroll showed it on Saturday very well at the start of the race, and Vettel showed it very well on all of Sunday. And it was also there in Suzuka, and there were, there were flashes there in um, th- throughout the season, really, um, particularly the second half of the season where they've been good pace and just the. It's, just, there was just a level of grit with Vettel this weekend, particularly on the, in the race, that just superseded everyone else really around him. And I'm also taking a degree of pride because I said the Aston Martin would go well, and it did. <laughs> yeah, Adam. Um, yeah, just yeah, just kind of echoing what Fred said. I think it's like you say, Vettel's been doing better as of late, and this is, I guess, the kind of bit of the iceberg that does stick above the water and everyone sees and goes, oh yeah, Vettel is doing well. Um, because he did well to, re- to come back from that. And it's not, you know, it, if you're a Vettel in that situation, you've just had the best race of the season, probably. And, you know, you're running in the top five and then that happens. And it's like, it, it just will be so draining. We saw two fantastic fight bats from slow pit stops. Um, and Verstappen's will be the one that is remembered. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a great drive from Vettel, and also in you know for Aston Martin from Lance Stroll until the Alonso incident, I thought he was doing very well yeah. too. And you know he's making yes the car performed better here than at other places, but they still have to make that work work. Just like when the car is performing worse at other places, sometimes you know they've also been under par. I think both of both of them acquitted themselves well, or at least Stroll until the Alonso incident. Yeah, definitely. I think Aston Martin are on a pretty good run. They have definitely improved their car. Looks like they've developed it a bit better than the other midfield teams. Because uh, clearly... one point off sixth in the constructors' championship. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. That's a turnaround and a half. Yeah, because they were ninth, literally two or three races ago. So if they could get six, considering the first half of the season they are, that would be absolutely massive for them. And the the, the way they're tracking it looks like it will happen. So. Yeah. On, on that note, though, like half the championship is bad. Like half the constructors have had poor years, which doesn't, I don't know, going back to even a few years ago, like there was a kind of sixth was a much more respectable result, it felt like when, I don't know, when Alpha Tauri were reaching it in 2020, I want to say, was they sixth? Um, well, it's you know. all relative, isn't it? Um, and the, the relative battle is that. Alpine and McLaren had a march early on in the season and have been more consistent, but Aston Martin have been a better team as of late, particularly this weekend. Um, and that's worked really well for them. Alfa Romeo also were looking quite good this weekend. It just didn't work out for them. Um, I thought Joe had some very good pace this weekend. Um, 
and it's it's you know for what the tools they have to work with it is good yeah and in, inherently there is going to obviously be a first place to a tenth place but and there's going to be results like that but it's you know either way if you're going to come from ninth to fighting for sixth in a very quick succession it is good no matter where you are really mm. yeah. i think i guess i'm just thinking about like 2020 where you had AlphaTauri who were very strong obviously cavalry won the race but even, even outside of that they were strong and had a good run of you know good point scoring finishes in both the races they were in seventh ferrari were in sixth and it was a down year for ferrari but they were still regularly scoring um points finishes and got a couple of podiums in there too like it's just you know it the it feels like the the bottom half of the construction championship has really dropped away from where it was a few years ago mm, I, don't, I don't know obviously it's a hard i think you've got three teams up front which fills six positions and then if alpine and mclaren are both performing sort of a middle sort of a B tier then that should realistically fill all the points playing positions Um, and so then with you know incidents and situations that occur that kind of then leaves two three positions for five teams to scrap for so that then makes it you know the rewards are so different for for different teams but it's it's a wider debate just on the nature of how competition and competitive <laughs> but, but it's it's those teams like you know in 2020 you had two teams at the front and then basically yeah, five teams after that fighting 2022 is 2022 like it's the team diff- shake-up is all different this year so rather than just comparing that to that it's it's a hard one to sort of make any reasonable conclusions apart from just saying well i enjoyed this but i also enjoy this or something like that i guess but but i don't i you know, it just seems like there's a kind of dropping competition level around that, you know, the B B tier, if we're going to call I it that. Then there's there two is. teams in that rather than five Ferrari. teams a few years ago. And there's a rise in Ferrari. There's a rise in Rebels to kind of be at the front now, um, where they weren't in 2020. And Alpine and McLaren are still performing in pretty much the same place. And just the racing points not as Aston Martin it isn't a Mercedes clone anymore. And Alpha Tauri yeah, have probably performed a little bit worse, but Alfa Romeo have actually put got themselves up there and are fighting a bit more. And so Alfa Romeo is now getting involved and getting points. Haas is getting points as well. So there's more points to spread across more teams now. Whereas Williams, Haas and Alfa Romeo weren't fighting for points in 2020. If you look at it like that, then there are more teams fighting for those points. So there's a better competitive order. So I'm you can look at it in every way. Uh, I'm with Freddie, uh, but back to the US Grand Prix <laughs> after that little sidetrack. Uh, Kevin Magnussen was 8th, so no one ninth, and Ocon 10th, you touched on Joe there in 11th, Freddie. He was got into Q3, but then had a lap deleted. I think he was very good as well this weekend. Uh, any thoughts on those final points paying position drivers? Well, Magnussen, fantastic yeah. to do pull up one stop and do, I think, yeah. 38 laps on medium tyres. Which definitely Fantastic. deserves a bravo, chapeau, various hat off related congratulation. Definitely. I completely agree with that. He had <clears throat> a really good performance and a really nice result for Haas to get. Um, and, you know, it, it's bumped with their 
that's probably why they're going out a bit guns blazing with um with protests and that because you know it's promoting them a, p- a position so fair play to him yeah from that side much needed yeah and Mick Schumacher was unlucky because he got he had an incident with Nicholas Latifi which meant I think Schumacher would have been in the points of it this weekend but slow stop as well Oh, yeah, slow stop as well. Completely forgot that. So, yeah, that meant he wasn't in the points as well. And then, obviously, uh, Gazi had that penalty. Alex, what happened to Albon? Albon, I think, just dropped off a bit um, and was passed by Vettel and Magnussen. And I oh, know, did he pit late on? He might have pit late on. Um, I, I think he just did. dropped in the lap. There was a lot of movement in the last few laps between kind of 7 to 12, 13. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to- yeah, I think, yeah, maybe he just was just passed by Joe and Ocon and Sonoda. I think Ocon had a had a, had a neat Sunday after a very poor Saturday, um, which was kind of needed to get to, in the end, he got a point because of Alonso's penalty, but to get to fighting for the points from the pit lane was, was always was always handy um, in, in such a congested midfield. Um, and, yeah, I think the only other thing to really add is that well, Lando Norris had a really, really genuinely very good drive that just put himself yeah. best of the rest, that glorious sixth place. Um for the midfield <clears> cars <throat> when there's no when science was out and he just pulled away in a very good way there. And Daniel Ricardo performed his contractual obligation to be the direct antithesis of that. And it seems to just it just seemed to get worse and worse and worse and worse again for him, which is just uh, beggar's belief and you kind of think how far can this how far down can this spiral go and it feels deeper which is really sad to see and and it just you know you look at that this is the guy who arrived on Thursday on a horse and left you know with no one thinking about him apart mm. from how yeah. bad it was borderline in tears yeah yeah we, we mentioned in, in the summer uh, literally June or July that his head was gone uh, this is the, the, well, the last Ten weeks or shit on that one, frankly. You can't you can't turn up on a horse and then you know finish fifteenth and qualifying, go out in Q one. Um, but it is like America is such a you know such a loved country by Daniel Ricardo. So you know it kind of felt like if there's going to be any any Grand Prix that could get him in the headspace to have you know pull a one off you know positive performance, do something, get close to Norris, then this might be it because the problem does seem to be you know a lot a lot in the in the headspace. So you know it's it was it was a great shame to see that he couldn't you know it is like Freddie said, it is that bad at the moment for him. Particularly on a weekend where he was out of the car in FP1 and the driver who replaced him did no worse than he would have done, Alex Pelot, uh 2021 IndyCar champion. Um he did a very tidy job, actually, in the FP1, which we won't go into now because it's a very big, detailed thing to go into. But <laughs> it it does add to the 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 dire Ricardo story of this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Pelé was every well just as good as will be in a normal practice session. Uh, the last thing then, America or F1 in. America had a sellout crowd over 440,000 people. It really has, well, for the last couple of years now, it's uh, what do you call it? It's took it by heart. Does that make sense? It's stole your it's heart. It's just working there. It's, it's sort of stolen my internet. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, F1 in America, it really has 
tracks. There's going to be three races next year. It's going to be an American driver if Logan Sargent gets a super license points as well. So, yeah, just some words on that to finish off. No, it, it's it's really great to see. I think it's, it, it's things like this make it annoying when the kind of rumours do the round every few years that Austin is one of the ones on the brink of, um, or, you know, kind of closer to the brink of not continuing. Because I think as much as the um, Miami and particularly the Las Vegas will be, you know, the really razzmatazz events and, um, you know, the ones that show up in the show business magazines and get the kind of traction outside of F1. It is, Cota is a really, really good base for F1 in America. And it's something that he's struggled really since it left Watkins Glen. So I think, you know, it's, it just performs a fantastic role. It key, you know, as I say, it's a great base in the middle of Texas. It's not that difficult to get through if, yeah, it, the weekend has a very Texan feel as well as a very US feel, which is um, always nice to see apart from people. Now I'm not going to go into my Oklahoma bias, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it, it really seems to have taken off. And I think, you know, Miami and Las Vegas will um, kind of take the benefit of that, but not enough credit will probably go to Cota for just what a fantastic job it has done where many, many, albeit um, not directly comparable, but still many, many US Grand Prix have failed. It is the home of Formula One in America. And I think, to be honest, even with the, um, as Adam put it, razzmatazz of Miami and Vegas, they're very clearly um, showbiz events, whereas this is very clearly a, Formula One events in America, mm, yeah. and I think it's it's got that base. Base, I think really this year it had to do a lot to sort of say, to sort of not to to put two fingers up to Miami and Vegas, but to really sort of just stamp their ground and stamp their authority on Formula One in America. And you know they they did a fantastic job with it, and clearly. You know, there's only praise for the event. There's only praise for the city when Formula One's there. There's only praise for the circuit, and I'm all for that. I love it. I think yeah. it's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant track, brilliant event. Uh, we've made it through an hour or so of the podcast without mentioning the budget cap, and except I've just mentioned it. <laughs> so my thanks to Freddie my thanks to Adam uh, if there's something big about the budget cap which there might be we will probably do something on it uh, if we will see you for the Mexico City Grand Prix in six days time or five days time when this goes out uh, have a good week we'll see you then bye, bye.